Volume One, Chapter Nine of Bungay Castle by Elizabeth Bonhote. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patty Cunningham. When the family met at breakfast, the Baron appeared unusually affable, and Sir Philip in high spirits. A walk was proposed to take a view of the town, nunnery, and environs of the cattle. Rosaline and her sisters were requested to be of the party and they were very soon joined by de Clavering, de Willows, and Hugh Camelford. This little promenade was so pleasant that it seemed to harmonize every mind, and to produce redoubled and grateful relish for the early beauties of the infant spring. Already now the snowdrop dared appear, the first pale blossom of the unripened year, as Flora's breath, by some transforming power, had changed an icicle into a flower. Its name and hue the scentless plant retains, and winter lingers in its icy veins. The baron, who had politely offered the assistance of his arm to Rosaline, which her father bade her accept, whispered some very fine things in her ear in praise of her shape, beauty, and understanding, told her it was a reproach on the taste and judgment of his sex that so charming a female had not put on hymeneal fetters. It was a positive proof of the blindness of the god of love. "'Surely you forget, my lord,' replied the blushing Rosaline, "'that I have scarcely left off my leading-strings, and am but just liberated from the confinement of the school. Age,' he told her, "'ought not to be reckoned by the number of years, but by accomplishments and good qualities.' "'That kind of calculation,' said de Clavering, "'would make your age, Miss de Morney, more upon a par with the barons.' "'More upon a par, you mean,' added de Willows, "'with our first parent, Adam.' "'What, Adam?' cried Hugh Camelford, skipping to the side of Rosaline, and eagerly handing her over a little run of water they were obliged to cross. "'What were you saying about our great-grandfather Adam?' "'I have often wished to see the old boy, and drink a bottle of poor water with him from the pond in the Garden of Eden.' why so sir said the stately and mortified baron who felt and seemed to shrink from the contrast between the active and lively gallantry of the giddy cambrian and the slow and cautious efforts of his own why why because he must be a brave fellow to venture matrimony with the first woman he saw how the devil should he do otherwise than take the first when there was no other to choose said de clavering the tevil, however, was even with him after all, replied the unthinking Camelford. The old boy had better have been quiet. I do not see that, said de Willows, and as the mischief was productive of some good, surely we have no right to criticize with severity that conduct which was forgiven by being so much more perfect than the creature he had created. That is as much to say, rejoined Camelford, that when we choose to play the fool, Comfort our neighbor's wife or totter, we have only to claim our own imperfect nature, repent, and be forgiven. That would be to trust our hopes of forgiveness upon a very sandy foundation indeed, said Sir Philip, as determined guilt or a continuance in error can have but little chance of immortal happiness. And for our mortal share of that same commodity, replied the lively Hugh, we must not trust to matrimony, I fear as i have never heard married people found their happiness pilt upon a rock this speech produced a general laugh but sir philip 
who was by no means pleased with the subject, said with a smile to the baron, "'These young men think they know more than their forefathers.' "'By which means,' replied he, "'they will most assuredly entail upon themselves the mortification of knowing less.' The conversation during the rest of the walk was confined to such objects as occasionally presented themselves to observation. The inhabitants of the town came to their doors to catch a look at the party from the castle. To as many as were known by the governor he spoke familiarly, as did the other gentlemen, and they concluded the baron must be some very great man, perhaps the king himself in disguise, because he did not once condescend to address them. Rosaline chatted with some young girls who came out to make their best curtsies, while the baron thought all these attentions paid to such plebeian souls wonderfully troublesome. At dinner he scarcely spoke five words, and de Willows was so disgusted with his forbidding haughtiness that the next day he presented to de Clavering the following satire on pride, saying it was a tribute justly due to the baron for his supreme excellency in the display of that detestable feature in his character. Hell's first-born exhalation sure is pride who, with its sister Envy, would divide the various blessings to poor mortals given by the kind bounty of indulgent heaven. What at the last have kings to make them proud? A gilded coffin and a satin shroud. The lordly worm on these will quickly prey, for worms like kings in turn will have their day. What, then, is man who boasts his form and make? A reptile's meal, a worm's high-flavored steak. The epicure, who caters like a slave, is but a pampered morsel for the grave. Envy's a canker of such subtle power, it steals all pleasure from the gayest hour. It is the deadly nightshade of the mind, with secret poison all its arts refined. And when attended by it vile relation, would spread a plague destructive to a nation. Then send these hags back to their native hell, with fiends and evil spirits formed to dwell. No more on worth let man look down with scorn, and frown on those not quite so highly born, nor as the coaches rattle from his door, boast, like proud Haman, of not being poor. Earth's doomed to earth, all folly there must end, then read, and own the satirist's a friend. Madeline had been invited, and obtained permission of the abbess, to spend the following day at the castle. This gave additional vivacity to the lively spirits of Edwin, who, with his sister, spent as much time with the prisoner as they could steal without exciting curiosity of suspicion. Rosaline gave them with some humor the ghost story as imparted to her by Audrey, and cautioned Albert against having any light seen from the windows, lest it should be productive of such inquiries as might lead to a discovery of the rooms being inhabited. But notwithstanding all her attempts to fly from herself and conceal from the observing eye of love her own internal conflicts, she was almost tempted to throw aside the mask and at once confess all her apprehensions. How were these apprehensions heightened when, in the afternoon, her father told her in a whisper he wished to see her in his study before the family assembled for breakfast, having some intelligence of the most agreeable nature to impart, which he hoped and believed would make her one of the happiest, as it could not fail to render her one of the most envied of her sex. Rosaline trembled, turned pale, and to the earliest opportunity of withdrawing, 
not daring to trust edwin with her fears or risk seeing the prisoner for some hours lest her agitation should betray suspicions of she knew not what but in which her terrified imagination confirmed all the hints her maid had given her marry the baron it was a thought so unnatural so repugnant to every wish every feeling of her heart so inimical to the ideas she had formed of happiness that it was not to be endured she wept wrung her hands recollected herself and again sunk into despondency but at all events resolved to acquire resolution to go through the interview with her father and give him such answers as should convince him an union with his friend if such was the painful subject he had to communicate would make her the veriest wretch on earth her heart was no longer in her own possession but that she must not dare avow all therefore that she could determine was to refuse the baron and to love the prisoner and him only to the end of her life these important points settled for the present gave to her perturbed spirits momentary relief and enabled her to join the family without creating any suspicion that they were unusually depressed when however she followed her brother into the prisoner's room it was with the utmost difficulty she maintained any command over her feelings but unwilling to alarm or distress her unfortunate lover till necessity compelled her to acquaint him with her sorrows the only difference her painful struggles produced was an addition of gentle tenderness to her manner and though she had often thought her affection could admit of no increase yet at this moment he was if possible still more beloved still more endeared by the ten thousand uncommon ties which had so wonderfully tended to unite hearts that appeared to be under the directing will of providence the next morning previously to seeing her father roseline once more ventured to question audrey and so earnestly begged she would explain all she meant by the hints she had given respecting the baron that poor audrey softened almost to tears by seeing her young lady really distressed no longer remembered her former petulance but readily complied with her request though in fact all she knew amounted to little more than she had already told namely that the baron came to look for a wife to carry home and shut up in his old castle that the baron's servant had informed her he was in love with her young lady that sir philip liked him for a son-in-law and they were soon to be married but christ jesus miss he is such an infamy man he would no more mind ordering one of his vassals to be thrown into a fiery furnace than my master would killing a pig and pedro says he ought to have been put into the spedical court fifty and fifty times for his intrigues and fornications for before his first wife died what then exclaimed roseline has the baron been married more than once bless your heart miss he has killed two wives already and the lord in his mercy shorten his days that a third may never fall into the clutches of such a manufacturer miss i would not fortify my word even to gain a gentleman for a husband and as i have a christian soul which i hope father anselm will keep out of purgatory i have told the truth and only the truth you must demonstrate with your father but don't go for to get me turned out of my place for wishing to preserve you from being led to the halter by such an old imperial taskmaster 
Rosaline, too much alarmed to be as usual amused with the singular oratory of her simple but well-meaning attendant, thanked her for her good wishes, and promised never to mention the information she had communicated. Well, then, bless your sweet face. I'll be crucified, but I'll communicate to you all he can pick up. Pedro is marvellously keen and clever, yet he appears as innocent as the babe unborn, and for all he gets pretty gleanings and prickings out of his old master. He hates him as heartily as I hates fast days and confessions. For you see, miss, one does not like to tell tales of oneself, and, in my opinion, some of monks and father confessors don't find in their hearts any ejection to us pretty girls. Rosaline, having dismissed her loquacious attendant, endeavoured to acquire sufficient fortitude to meet her father with composure, and to arm herself with resolution to withstand any attempts he might make to compel her into measures from which every feeling of her heart recoiled. She too well knew the warmth and obstinacy of her father's temper when met with opposition in a favourite plan, not to dread the contest. She now concluded, from many preceding circumstances, that the baron was brought to the castle for the horrid purpose of becoming her husband, and unfortunately at this moment recollected with redoubled tenderness the very great difference between him and the man whom, by a chain of the most singular and interesting circumstances, she had been led to regard with a degree of affection she scarcely dared to investigate, and of which she knew not the full force. Her brother, her dear Edwin, too, had formed an attachment equally repugnant to the will and ambition of his father. The painful recollection awakened her warmest sympathy and increased her own sorrows. Ah, she exclaimed, how darkly overclouded is the prospect which a few months back seemed so bright. Well, let the tempest come. Let the thunder burst on my defenceless head. I will. Here she was interrupted by a summons to attend her father, which she instantly arose to obey. But her trembling limbs were scarcely able to support her, and she was obliged to rest several times before she could sufficiently recover herself to appear in his presence without discovering the long and severe conflicts she had vainly endeavoured to conquer sir philip on her entering the room eagerly arose to meet her and either did not or what is more probable would not seem to notice her confusion he tenderly took her hand and led her to a chair then seating himself by her observed with a smile that he doubted not her curiosity had been excited, and told her he would have a kiss before he would disclose the secret. For the business, he continued, which I have to negotiate with my sweet girl, demands secrecy. Rosaline, afraid of trusting her voice, bowed in silence, but her manner showed she was all attention. "'My dear girl,' said Sir Philip, "'why all this apparent tremor?' "'I hope you are.' and have ever been convinced that my first my most anxious wishes are to see my children happy then thought rosaline you will not surely so much mistake the road to happiness as to propose your friend to me for a husband baron fitzosborne has solicited me to intercede with you in his behalf notwithstanding the greatness of his pretensions he has even condescended to entreat i would intercede with my dear rosaline that she will in due time permit him to lead her to the altar. Rosaline, extremely agitated, made an attempt to speak, which Sir Philip observing said, Attend me a few moments longer, my dear. 
I will then give you leave to express your joyful surprise at the good fortune which awaits you. My noble friend, from the very first moment of seeing you, loved and wished to make you his own. He, like a man of honour, inquired if your heart was disengaged. I assured him it was, for I knew you too well, my dear girl, to suppose you would ever dispose of it without a father's sanction. Eager to possess a treasure which had never strayed from its own spotless mansion, he then requested my permission to become a candidate for your favour. I readily and freely gave it, and encouraged him to hope he would meet neither with caprice nor opposition. At the same time I candidly told him that though my fortune was upon the whole considerable, yet as my family was large and still might increase, my daughter's portions could be but small, so very small that I feared it would prove an impediment to your union. He generously overlooked this objection, and wishes only to gain your heart and hand. While the share you would be entitled to have of your father's property, he requests may be given among the rest of my family, and he will make an equal settlement upon you as if you brought him a large fortune. Indeed, so noble and disinterested were his proposals, that they both gratified and astonished me. They are such as no parent could receive with indifference. No young woman refuse. The baron has not only a princely fortune, but a princely spirit, and such unbounded interest that my Rosaline will not only secure rank and splendor to herself, but will prove the fortunate means of obtaining them for her brothers and sisters, and of making the last closing scenes of her parents' days happier and freer from care than they have ever been. Ah, thought Rosaline, and her own irretrievably wretched, for among all the treasures to be purchased by this unnatural union, happiness is not included. She sighed deeply, and without looking up remained silent. Sir Philip, rather alarmed at the alteration in her countenance, which changed from being extremely flushed to the most deadly paleness, and observing a tear stealing down her cheeks, still appeared determined to think he should find no difficulty in overruling any little objection she might venture to make. He put one hand into hers, and the other round her waist, and again addressing her, said, He did not wonder that an offer so splendid and noble should affect and overpower a humble spirit and unassuming as hers. I always knew the inestimable value of the baron's friendship, and am equally sensible of the rich prize I possess in a daughter. But I never dared to cherish the grateful hope that I should live to see two persons on whom I depend for so large a portion of my happiness united, or that a child of de Morny's was to repay the noble baron for his generosity to her father. "'For heaven's sake, my dear, dear father,' cried the almost fainting Rosaline, do not thus seem to misunderstand the nature of feelings entitled to your tenderest pity. I never, never can love the baron. Sir Philip hastily arose. Fury flashed from his eyes. Every feature was beginning to be convulsed with passion, but he struggled against the rage he wished to subdue, while she continued. Consider my extreme youth. Contrast it with the age of your friend. Can I be a fit or eligible wife for a man older than my father? Would not that be to punish most severely the man for whom, so far from loving, I have ever felt an invincible dislike, which sometimes I have thought, if he stayed much longer at the castle, would increase to aversion? Sir Philip, who had neither expected to meet nor was prepared to encounter an opposition so determined, 
was no longer able to keep his passion within bounds. "'Rosaline!' cried he, striking his clenched fist on the table, and looking with the wildness of a maniac. "'Dare not presume to cherish or to avow a dislike which will not only plunge a dagger into your mother's heart, but rob you of a father.' what business can a girl of your age have to like or dislike but as your parents shall direct give them up for ever or accept the baron how will you reconcile yourself to become an alien to your family how relish spending your days in a nunnery instead of enjoying liberty and every pleasure in the gay sunshine of a court glittering with diamonds surrounded by admirers equal in rank and superior in fortune to many of our most ancient nobility consider well before you determine to enable you to conquer your diffidence or caprice one month i will give you one month i will allow the struggles of maiden bashfulness or the wayward humour of your sex yet hear at once my final resolution if during that period you either alarm or disgust the baron by your folly or ignorance so as to make him repent the noble overtures he had made to secure an alliance with my family or if you attempt to damp the ardour of his passion by your coldness if at the end of that period you do not without any visible reluctance accept him as a lover and promise to give him your hand i will instantly send you into a convent of the severest order and compel you to take the veil rosaline overpowered by his manner fell on the floor in a state of insensibility her father now saw he had gone too far he was alarmed but much as he felt himself distressed he too well knew what he was about to call for assistance he therefore by the usual methods endeavoured to recover her as well as he could and as soon as he saw her revive soothed her hurried spirits with every fond attention addressed her by the tenderest appellations and begged her to have pity on him and on herself rosaline too much terrified to contend farther at that time heard him with silent despondency and hoped the cruel contest would be ended by her death for as she never before had fainted she imagined it was a prelude to her dissolution sir philip to reconcile her if possible to his ambitious views argued the matter with that sophistry and art which in all ages have been practised with too much success assured her of every flattering indulgence that a youthful heart could desire painted her future prospects in colours most likely to captivate the attention and ensnare the senses and even went so far as to promise till the end of the month he would not mention the baron's name to her again but insisted on her receiving his attentions with complacency and desired her not to make a confidant of any one in a matter of so much importance he likewise informed her he had forbidden her mother's talking to her on the subject and concluded this painful interview with telling her he trusted her gentleness duty and affection would determine her to oblige and gratify her anxious and tender father in the first and most prevailing wishes of his heart he recommended her to retire to her own room and promised to find a proper excuse for her absence after leading her to the door of his apartment he embraced and left her sir philip de morney though in many respects a kind father and a good husband was proud and aspiring these passions as he advanced in years gained additional ascendancy over his mind and as he saw his children approaching that period when it became necessary to think of an establishment for them 
he was more and more anxious to see them placed among the great. His lady, equally attached to the fascinating influence of birth and splendor, had neither inclination nor power to counteract his designs, nor to dispute with him on a point to which her own wishes tended. She was too partial, too fond of her children, not to think they were calculated to shine in the most exalted situations, and that they deserved every blessing, every indulgence which rank of fortune could bestow. She had married a man much older than herself, and was happy. Therefore she saw no reasonable objection in the difference of age between her daughter and the baron, whose birth carried an irresistible passport to her heart. Sir Philip had talked the matter over with her, and with that prevailing influence he had ever retained, brought her not only to consent to any measures he should find necessary to adopt in order to carry his point, but obtained a solemn promise from her to conceal from Edwin, and every one else, the sanguine establishment of their daughter. The fact was, Sir Philip had at different periods of his life received many favours, and some of a pecuniary nature, from the baron, which had never been settled, and had it not been for the assistance of the baron's purse, he must have deeply mortgaged his estates to carry on the lawsuit which, without the interest of his friend, would at last have terminated against him. It was in consequence of their unexpected meeting in town that he prevailed upon him with some difficulty to return with him to the castle. What ensued was so much beyond the most flattering expectations he had ever dared to cherish, that the feelings of the parent were sacrificed to ambition, and he instantly determined to carry his point, let the consequence be what it would. And, though he had observed in the whole of Rosaline's behaviour to his friend, convincing proofs of that dislike which she had in her interview with him avowed, yet he did not despair of gaining his purpose. He was aware that he might find some little opposition to his wishes, and therefore to guard as cautiously as possible against disappointments, he had more than once represented to the baron the youth, inexperience, and extreme timidity of his daughter, and the terror she would feel at being separated from a mother from whom she had never been absent. By such wary precautions as these he had prevailed upon his friend to postpone making any proposals to Rosaline, till he had paved the way for a welcome reception. To such a plan a lover could not make any reasonable objection, particularly one who wished to have as little trouble as possible in the gratification of his desires. Too proud, haughty, and fastidious to pay his court, or make any sacrifice to the wayward humours of a young beauty, he secretly rejoiced that her father would take the whole upon himself, and knowing how agreeable the offered alliance was to him, he had no fears but as soon as the young lady's consent was asked, she would be happy to comply. He therefore looked forwards with less impatience than he would have done had any doubts rested upon his mind. End of chapter 9 Recording by Patty Cunningham